0: Friends, tonight we begin episode 6 of our summer series called Life Between the Times. We're in the book of Thessalonians, the first letter, 1 Thessalonians in the New Testament. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have the app, you can pull up the notes, put a whole bunch of notes and questions there, as well as follow on the screen. We're going to be in chapter 5, which is the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians, and then the next several weeks before the summertime ends, we will be in the second letter to the church in Thessalonica. If you saw in that video, this church changed the region and in many ways created an impact that changed the world. God used these these people that had committed to one another and had a life that was centered on the gospel to bring a profound impact to the entire region and world where they were known for their love and their charity and their generosity and their love of each other in particular. And I was reflecting upon this as we're closing this first letter tonight, and I was thinking about this moment every week, this moment from 5 p.m. or 4.45, if you arrive early, encourage you to do that, get some coffee, hang out, until after service when we spend time together, that coming together as God's people to pray to God, to worship, to sit under God's word, to gather at the table of communion as a means of grace and then spend time connecting and building friendships is one of the most peculiar, unique, and powerful moments of the entire week. It is what I look forward to every single week. Does anyone else in this room look forward to this moment every week? We're going to do that again. Do you look forward to this moment every single week? Amen. You know, there's something powerful. God says that when we're gathered together, that he's uniquely present, that he's among us. And I want to tell you that because the title of the sermon this evening is Thriving, Not Surviving. Can you say thriving, not surviving with me? That's right. Thriving, not surviving. I don't think anyone in this room would be like, hey, listen, I don't want to thrive. Like, I just want to survive. Maybe you are right now just surviving, but we want to thrive, we want to flourish, we want to grow. That is the desire of each and every one of us, whether it's in relationship, whether it's in your career, whether it's in friendships, you want to thrive. And I want you to hear this. This sermon tonight and every sermon after this and the ones before is specifically for you. You see, the reason that God calls us together is that God uniquely ministers to us when we are gathered as his people to worship. Since the beginning, the church, and the church in Thessalonica was no different, gathered together weekly to worship God together because God moves uniquely in the life of his people when we're with one another. And so though God was working on me this week by his spirit to convict me and through prayer and preparation and study to write this sermon, this is God's sermon to you. And the Holy Spirit is going to apply it to you in a way that may be different than somebody else across the aisle from you. But it is for you. And the Lord wants to encourage you or challenge you, strike something new and fresh in your heart. And I hope that every week you walk into this space in the room, and for those that couldn't make it, and you're online, and you believe that God has a word prepared for you. He has a word prepared for me every single week, and I get to sit in it for six days before I share it. And it's for you, too. And this is what thriving looks like. The Apostle Paul shares this at the very end of his first letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he speaks about something that we're all familiar with. And it's a topic of leadership. So here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 through 14. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves." And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, studies show that 85% of Americans in the workforce are dissatisfied with their current job. 85%, almost 9 out of 10 of you. Do not like your job. Now, this is so peculiar and interesting because if you trace back a similar study 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago, the percentage of people that were dissatisfied with their jobs was much lower. Now, that's striking to me because I would think that probably at least 85% of us in the room would say, I like my job now. I don't want my job 50 years ago. I like technology and how it's made it more efficient, and I'm more productive, and I, I, I like it. Now, maybe some of the dissatisfaction is because with the rise of technology, we have lost our kind of nine to five clock in and clock out. Many of you work jobs where you feel like you're always working, and you have to. some of you have two or three phones. It's wild. And you got to like turn them off and you have this whole thing so you can kind of feel disconnected and have a little bit of time off. And maybe there's something about the pressure and the always on and technology makes people feel dissatisfied. But still, I don't think many of us would change our current jobs and our job situation and circumstances now for 50, 60, 70 years ago. So why is there such a high dissatisfaction rate in the workforce, at least in America in particular? There's probably several reasons, but I believe it, it pulls into one. There's one key reason, and that's bad leadership. Bad leadership. And you may feel that. You, that may resonate with you. And I want to say this. When we're talking about dysfunction or dissatisfaction and bad leadership, this is not only the case in the workplace. I think this is what causes Friendships to break down, friend groups to have conflict, marriages to fall apart, families to have dysfunction. Take any space, churches, to split. Dysfunction, dissatisfaction, destruction often is contributing. What contributes to that is bad leadership. The Apostle Paul here is speaking about leadership And he's telling the church, if you want to thrive and not survive, it is important that you get leadership right, specifically in two ways. One, how you treat leaders, and two, how you lead as a leader. Now, the context here is in the church— speaking about pastors and leaders elders and deacons and other positions of leadership within the church how you treat them also how they lead among you but the principles are true in any space now some of you may be thinking okay this may be a helpful sermon for some people but I'm not a leader like I I don't want to be a leader whatever the concept of leader that you have you don't want to be that you don't think you're a leader that's not true Every single one of you in this room is a leader. You are a leader. Here's how I know that. Because God has given you unique talents, gifts, opportunities. He has a purpose and a calling for you. You have relationships that you're to care for and steward. You have a career that you're to care for and steward. You have all of these things that God has brought into your life that all involve people, And he's called you to steward those things well. The gifts you have, the people in your life, you're called to be a leader. Now, leadership is diverse, it doesn't always look the same. When when we say leader, oftentimes you think about someone who has authority over a group of people. But leadership isn't a title, it's a behavior. Leadership isn't a title, it's a behavior that you adopt. You see, even when we look back in the very beginning of the Bible, before sin and corruption and evil entered the world, God made man and woman, and he called them to lead. He said, have dominion over the earth. Subdue it. We've been called to find our place of leadership, the space In which we use our gifts and our talents and our abilities to care for people. And what we're gonna see is that when you step into that, it brings about the very thing that we desire for every place where we are involved with people from your work, to your family, to relationships, to your church, to your community, to your city, to your country, as it brings peace. When there's good leadership, and people that understand that leadership isn't a title, it is a behavior. And I was thinking about that this week that many of us know that this is true because there's people in our lives that have the title of leader, but if we were not forced to follow them, we would not, right? There are people that maybe have authority, they've been placed in a position of leadership, but we would not follow them unless our, in particular, jobs required it. If you ever watch like medieval movies, they always paint like two caricatures of leadership that is oftentimes true in real life. Whenever I watch these movies, I feel like there are two types of kings. There's the tyrannical king. That's the one who rules with an iron fist and through force. No one re- no, people are forced to respect him, but he's not esteemed in love at all. Full of fear. And then there's the sheepish king. The one who is ruled by the people around him. And everyone is jockeying for position because they know that he'll just kind of do whatever they say. He doesn't want to take a step of courage, and people are frustrated and hurt by his lack of leadership. The Apostle Paul here wants us to understand that leadership isn't a title, it is not a position that you're given, it is a behavior that you adopt. So let me read those first two verses again so we can get a picture of what he's talking about. Verse 12 and 13, 1 Thessalonians 5 again. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace among yourselves. So there are two types of behaviors that he's addressing here. And this sermon is going to be really practical. So if you're a note taker, take some notes. If you have the Crossbridge Brickle app, look through that. There's a lot of stuff there. Hopefully it's helpful to you. The first behavior is how you treat leaders. The Apostle Paul says you need to treat leaders with respect and esteem them highly in love. The second behavior is the behavior of leaders, how leaders lead. He notes a few things here. He says that leaders labor among you, they are over you, and they admonish you. Now, I want to deal with the second one first, which is how leaders lead, because if the second one is done within a community, within a space, within any place where people are involved, if there's good leadership, and the leaders are leading rightly, the first behavior follows. Respect and esteem and love. So the Apostle Paul says that there are three elements that are in an intentional order about leaders. First, they serve. Second, they guide. And third, They give targeted care. This is what we see in the text. So let's start with the very first one. Here's the very first one. Remember that the order is intentional and it matters. Leaders serve. So this includes you because we are all leaders. And God will reveal the place in which you're called to lead. Leaders serve. He says that they labor among you. Now, what that means is that for you to be a good leader, you have to be among the people. You have to labor among them. If you are not among the people that you lead, if you're not connected to the people that you lead, if you do not labor and serve alongside of them, then you have no right to lead them. Leaders labor among the people. You are not qualified to lead unless you labor among them. Jesus says this, in Luke twenty-two twenty-six, 26, the leader is one who serves. In the church, we use a term oftentimes which is servant leadership. Servant leadership. And that's why we put servant first. It's not leadership service. It's servant leadership because the leader is the one who serves. It is the one that is among you, that serves among you, that is qualified because you know the people and you labor among the people. It's not a title. It's a behavior. The core element, the very basic element of a leader is someone who sacrifices and serves the people. The leader is the one who serves. There's a, a saying I've heard before and I love it. I think it's, it's catchy and it's spot on, which is this. If you are too big to serve, you are too small to lead. If you're too big to serve, you're too small to lead. A leader serves. Secondly, a leader guides. It says here that the leader is over you. Which means that a leader, a good leader, recognizes that there is going to need to be a place in which they take authority. There need to be intentional. They, need, they understand that this, there's a weight and a responsibility that comes with leading. And they need to care for it well. And so they take initiative. Good leaders know this. That somebody has to say, let's do this, let's go there, let's think this, let's try this. Good leaders take initiative, they guide, they cast vision, they mobilize, they move forward. And there's a guiding principle, I think, if you look throughout scripture, of good leadership, what it looks like and what guides them when they take responsibility for a community, for a family, in a relationship, in church, in work, wherever it is, there is a guiding principle that they hold to because they, they steward authority very carefully. They are over you, leading, but they're very delicate with it because they understand what the apostle Peter says, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father That God has given every good and perfect gift, which means every good and perfect gift that you have, every talent, your opportunities, your intellect, your ability, whatever it may be, every gift has been given to you by God. And not only that, but every person in your life has been given to you as a gift. That means that your workplace and the people there are gifts that God has given to you to care for. Your family, your friendship, your city, your church, your community, organizations that you're involved in. These are gifts given to you. We are a people who are to esteem and to recognize and to elevate the dignity of God and people. And so we care for people well. We understand that God has given us opportunities to lead with the very people around us. So, we're not looking as good leaders for a status symbol or for power. We're looking to care for the good gifts around us, to use authority delicately, and to be wise and careful. To understand that being placed in a position of leadership in any space is a privilege to be handled very delicately. So, leaders guide, they take that initiative, they say let's, and they're very careful with people. Which goes to the third aspect of leaders, the third element, is that they give targeted care. And this is so important. It says that leaders admonish you. That's the word that the Apostle Paul uses. They admonish you. Now, the word admonish, even in the Greek, can mean multiple things. It can mean to encourage. It can mean to caution. It can mean to enjoin yourself. It can mean to rebuke. It can mean to advise. So what does Paul mean here when he says that leaders admonish? Well, we don't have to guess because verse 14 is Paul's refining and defining of what admonish means. Here's what he says in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all four things that are attributed to admonishing. And I, I gave them fun titles, okay? I like fun titles. So here's what good leaders are. First, good leaders are cheerleaders. That's when he says that we admonish the idol. See, good leaders see people that are stuck, that don't know which way to go. They don't know where to walk. They are lacking vision. They have no clarity. They're idle. They're stuck in their spot. They see them, and they understand that we as the people of God are called to run the race of faith. We are called to move forward in our relationship with Jesus. We are called to move into the city with the gospel. We are called to move forward in relationship with one another. That is the very basis of our faith is that when you come to faith in Jesus, you're made right with God, and then God puts you on a path of becoming more like Jesus. There is movement in your faith. And leaders see people that are idle and they admonish them. They encourage them. They advise them. They're cheering them on. Come on, let's walk, let's move. Let's. They're very delicate with it, but they encourage, let's walk, let's go. We don't want to be idle. We want to be moving. They're cheerleaders. Secondly, leaders are coaches. Coaches. They encourage the faint-hearted. They see people that are nervous or fearful full of worry or anxiety. And they come alongside of them. They listen to them. They hear their story. They hear their place. They hear their fears. And they walk with them. See, leaders understand, good leaders understand that sometimes people just need to know that you're with them so that they can begin to move into those territories of fear. That someone's there alongside of them. Someone has their back. Someone believes in them. Someone sees what they don't see and can gently encourage them forward. They come and they encourage the faint-hearted. All of us know here that there's been people in our life that have come alongside of us when we have been discouraged or full of worry and fear. And when they just listened to us and they looked at us in the eyes and they said, Hey, listen, you got this. I'm with you. I believe in you. I see this in you. That is powerful. Good leaders are coaches. Third, they are counselors. It says here that good leaders help the weak. They see those who are struggling and hurting and they engage them to determine the exact help they need. That help is not a one one size fits all because everyone has different problems. Everyone's facing different circumstances. They are weak because of different things. There's not just one way to help. And so they're careful to determine how they might help. They see them. They're with them. So they might know what help looks like. I I wrote this down. and This was convicting. And I think it's important that we understand this. That good leaders see the pain and problems of those around them. Not as someone else's pain and problem. But as theirs. When they see pain and they see problems in the community that they're connected to, it becomes theirs. You know, a good friend of mine who's been a member here in the church, uh, Wade Cusack, he said many, many years ago that one of the things that he would love for the church to understand, he works in Central Asia for religious freedom, and he helps to get imprisoned uh, pastors out of jail. So he deals with the persecuted church. He said, I, w- I want the church in America to know that though our persecution is different, we're not imprisoned. pastors aren't thrown in jail, that we are the persecuted church because the problems of the church that they're facing in Asia are our problems too. We mourn with those who mourn. We see the pain and problems of others as our pain and problems because good leaders want to help the weak, those hurting and struggling. They want to see what can be done. Fourthly, good leaders are composers. The last thing he says is that they are patient with all. They are patient with all. They understand that everyone is walking a different pace. They are in a different place. They are facing different things in their life that is affecting their movement. And the expectation that leaders have on others is that there is movement, but they do not have an expectation on the speed at which they're moving. If you've been a follower of Jesus for some time, you know that there are seasons in your life where you are growing and you just feel connected and God is changing things and he's bringing all types of newness but then there are seasons in your life where things feel really dry and you feel disconnected and you feel frustrated it's very hard for you to open your bible you're not running maybe not even walking you're crawling step by step and good leaders understand that they're patient like a composer they're not trying to you know, push the tempo. They understand that every instrument plays a different sound. It has a different place and it needs to be played together and that there are different songs for different scenes. So they're patient. They're measured. They're composed. They're not rushing the tempo. Some of you in this room may remember many, many, many years ago there was a game uh, called NFL Blitz. Does anyone remember NFL Blitz? Okay, okay. Like eight of us millennials who played Super Nintendo, NFL Blitz was an amazing game, fantastic. It's just like kind of cartoony football game. And there was, there was a secret in the game, which is that you only really needed to choose one offensive play. That was what? The Hail Mary. That's all, it was called the Bomb. And you just, all you do is choose that play, and you just throw it down the field, and you're pretty much going to st- score a touchdown in the game every single time. It was totally broken, but if your friend didn't know that, it was great because you just scored a million points on them. See, good leaders understand that you cannot just rush everyone forward. You can't just do the bomb every single play and throw a Hail Mary pass and expect to score a touchdown every single time. That most of life is three yards forward, two back, five yards forward, one back, ten yards forward, one back, one yard. It is patient. You can't just hit a play or come up with five steps or try this. And all of a sudden, everyone's going to be growing and moving with some certain speed. Some of us, when we're idle, when we're weak and hurting, when we're nervous and full of fear, it takes longer to be encouraged, to be admonished, to be walked with out of those things. And good leaders are patient, they're composers, they don't rush. They're not seduced by our microwave instant gratification culture. So here he says these three things. Leaders serve, they guide, and they give targeted care. They're coaches, cheerleaders, counselors, and composers. Now, all of us know leaders that lead, they have authority, but they don't serve. And we know how that makes us feel. All of us know leaders that serve, but don't lead, they don't want responsibility, even though people may want them to step up and and help and guide, they want their wisdom. But I think that the most rare element of these three is the third one. It is giving targeted care. You see, they go in order. You serve so that you gain credibility, so that you might have a position of authority over someone in their life, where you can speak wisdom and truth. And because you labor among them, now they want you to guide and to lead and to give vision. But a lot of people stop there. A lot of leadership stops there. It's I labor and serve among the people, and then I have a position of leadership and I lead, but they don't see people. To give targeted care. See, here's what good leaders do. They not only labor and serve among the people, they get to know the people so they see the needs of the people. So when they're put in a position of leadership, in a work, in in church, in a family, in a relationship, in whatever space you want to place this, they now know the needs. They have the respect in order to lead and give guidance and care. And they give targeted help to where people are at in their time of need. And when this happens, friends, a community thrives, a family thrives, a relationship thrives, a city thrives. When there's this kind of leadership where peop- the leaders are serving, they're taking authority with great weight and holding to it sensitively, and they're giving targeted care to people In their place of need this is servant leadership it enriches the life of the community it builds peace within the community it builds people up and the breakdown is when you don't follow these things in order or you disregard some because you've kind of in your mind evolved beyond them so I told you I like names I came up with some other types of leaders And and I say this, and I want you to be open to say, God, how do you want me to grow as a leader? Where do I identify? Where do I naturally fall into? Help me to see where I can grow in my leadership because the byproduct of good leadership is peace in the community. And so when this order isn't observed or when some elements are disregarded, here are type of leaders that we have. Okay, you ready? The first one is people that lead positionally. How many of you know this? I'm a leader because did you see my title? I'm a director, you know. I'm the boss. I'm whatever. Like people are working for a title so that they can then lead. They lead out of a title. Positional leadership. They just want to be over people and they feel that they can lead because they have a title. This is not great leadership. Secondly, we have leading arrogantly. Couldn't think of another catchy way, so that's what I said. Leading arrogantly, which is this. It is leading out of superiority or supremacy. So here's what that looks like. It's oftentimes someone who puts in the work. They were serving among the people, but they feel like they've now evolved to a new place where they don't have to do the work that they once did. That work is now for other people, And so they lead from a place where they're detached. They one time were with the community, but now they're no longer with the community. They just want to be over people. And it's kind of this supremacy. I've grown beyond that. I'm kind of next level in leadership. And so many leaders fall into that trap. They're with the people. They're serving with the people. They're building. They're growing. But now I'm over here and I'm detached from the people. And it causes all types of problems. Leading arrogantly. They can't be bothered with lower level concerns. Then we have leading sheepishly. That is passive and fearful. It's people that don't want to assert authority. They're maybe consumed by needing to be a people pleaser and they never want to say anything or or challenge anything that may kind of stir someone. They've been given leadership. And they, or they know that they're meant to step up. They see a need. They have a conviction. Like, I should step up. I should assert. I should take initiative. But they throw it off. They don't want it. They don't want a guide. It's sheepish. And then lastly is leading blindly. Now, this, this one was. I was thinking about. This is so interesting. I think so many of us fall into this trap. This is someone who is focused on the mission and objective in whatever community they're a part of, they have a vision, they have a mission that they feel called to, they serve among the people, they may be connected to the community, they sacrifice even for the people, they take their authority and they lead well, but they miss the last element, which I think is the most rare. They don't give targeted care because they don't really see the needs. They're so consumed with the mission and vision that they miss the people. And so they don't see the needs and they don't have the ability then even to be a coach or a cheerleader or a composer of patients or a counselor. It's leading blindly where you just miss the people that you've been called to care for. Now, I think this is... What was fascinating to me when I was thinking about all these titles and types of leadership is... I don't think a single one of us in this room would say, I really want to be a positional leader. Like, or none of you would say, hey, I, re- I like the idea of being an arrogant leader. That sounds really great to me. Or I want to be sheepish. Or I really, what I really want is I want to lead blind. Like, I just, I really, that excites me. None of us would say that, right? All of us want to be good leaders, We wanna care for people well. In whatever place that is, we want to be good leaders and yet every single one of us knows these type of leaders, we have experienced them, we are them. Because this is what we naturally fall into. We naturally fall into one of these or maybe more that I'm missing. And the problem is when there's bad leadership, it destroys peace, it creates dysfunction, dissatisfaction and I guarantee you that you can probably attribute a big chunk of your dissatisfaction if you're in that statistic you're not you're one of those 85% that's dissatisfied with your current job I guarantee you that bad leadership is a key part of that that's destroyed peace and work there's dissatisfaction or dysfunction in a relationship and in a family in a community I guarantee you there's bad leadership. Because the byproduct that the Apostle Paul says of good leadership is that there will be peace among you. See, what this means is that servant leadership makes peace possible. The thing that we want more than anything in all the relationships and communities that we're a part of is peace. And that's why I wanted to focus on the second behavior of how leaders lead. Because if People would understand that as a leader, and whatever that looks like for me, because it's unique for each of us, that I'm called to serve, I'm called to guide when called, and I'm called to give targeted care. That if we led like that, then the result would be the first behavior. It would help to form a community where there's respect and where people are highly esteemed and loved, building apart, building peace. That when people walk into that community where there's good leadership and there's respect and there's esteem and love, that people would feel at peace because there is peace. That's what we want. The Apostle Paul tells us exactly what that looks like through leadership. And I want to say this. You know, we don't have to take just these few verses as proof that this is the way in which peace is developed within a community is leaders that serve and leaders that guide and leaders that give targeted care resulting in a community where there's respect and esteem. We just need to look at the greatest leader, who's Jesus. Consider the life and ministry of Jesus. The very thing that Jesus is known for, more than anything, is that he has come to serve. Jesus is, served he labored among the people he knew the people he was connected to the people he saw their needs he saw their place he served among them in fact Jesus is is such a servant he's so sacrificial he's so giving that his entire mission was to give his life on the cross the calling that the Father gave him, the purpose that was given to him that would not be taken away was that he would drink the cup of judgment. That he would go to the cross to seek and to save the lost. For sinners like you and me, messed up, broken people, that Jesus, his perfect life, he served so that we might benefit from his life and his death and his resurrection. He served. And then secondly, he guided one of the things that is so incredible about Jesus that he is that he's meek, and he's humble, and he's serving among the people, but he stands on truth. He guides, and he speaks, and he challenges, in particular, the religious authorities of his day who were trying to discredit him, and he said, no, no. He speaks truth and he guides and he holds that carefully. If you notice, Jesus speaks strong when people come at him with fundamental religious facts that try to discredit him, but when people are hurting and when they're weak and when they're struggling, he's very gentle. But he doesn't relinquish his authority. He guides and he gives targeted care. You cannot walk through a page of the Bible when you're reading about Jesus' ministry where you do not see Jesus meeting the person exactly where they're at. Healing the blind man. Caring for those in mourning and need. Giving the exact word to people for what they need. Oh, when he's performing miracles and when he's preaching about the kingdom of God, the people are hungry, let's get food. He gives targeted care. And here's the result. You know what the result was? Is that anyone that was around Jesus, that believed in Jesus, that followed Jesus, they found peace. Anyone outside of it is looking at him. They wanted to destroy the peace that they saw because it was a threat. His life and his ministry, his leadership by serving and guiding and giving targeted care brought peace to every space and place that he occupied. And not only that, by belief in Jesus as Savior who served you by going to the cross for your sin. And Jesus who speaks truth to guide your life as we sit under God's word and walk under Jesus' words. And the Holy Spirit who Jesus promised is given to you to give targeted care to your life. When you see Jesus as Savior, we follow Jesus as Lord. And when the Holy Spirit is your helper and your guide, guess what the result is in your life? peace. Look what Jesus says. This is so incredible to me. Jesus says this in John 14, starting in verse 25. He says, these things I have spoken to you, that while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your mind remembrance of everything I've said, and the result, ready? Peace I leave you, and peace I give to you. The Holy Spirit who will teach you about Jesus as Savior and Lord and bring to mind all things. What he supplies you is peace. Targeted care. My prayer for us friends as a church is that we would be people here in this church and in every community that we occupy that would say, I want to be a good leader. I want to serve, and I want to guide where called, and, and I, I want to give targeted care to people because I see their needs. And, and what motivates me is not that I want to grow in, in acclaim, or I want to advance my position, or I want respect and esteem. It's that I want to bring peace to the community because Jesus had brought peace to me. And I want to be a peacemaker, How could I not want to live out that vision and steward that in the communities that I'm a part of? Because that's the result. And here's the amazing thing. When the Bible speaks about peace, it's not peace like we use it often. It's the word shalom, which means wholeness or thriving. You want to see what thriving looks like in your own personal life and in every community that you're a part of? Follow Jesus Surrender to him as Savior and Lord. Receive the Holy Spirit who brings peace. And then be a good leader. And care for other leaders as well. I'm going to close in prayer. And I want to encourage you, um, if you have the app, there's a bunch of questions that I've placed there. I'm going to add some more later this week, tomorrow, that are good diagnostic checks for you to go through. And to just evaluate on your own of where you're at.